Praise the name of the Lord. Praise God because He is God. Exalt His name because He reigns on high. Magnify Him because He sits on the throne ever exalted. Bless His name now. If you have breath in your lungs, exalt Him. Exalt Him. Bless Him. Give Him all the glory, all the honor. He is great and greatly to be praised. He alone is worthy of all, worthy of all glory, worthy of all power, worthy of all exaltation. Father, you are great. You are mighty. Your word is holy. Ever faithful, ever glorious God. We stand before your throne recognizing that you alone are God. We know that you are able to do exceedingly, abundantly more than we could ever ask or imagine. When you thought of your son, you thought of us. When you thought of salvation, you thought of us. When you thought of redemption, you thought of us. And that love that you had towards us was your energizing power to face the cross. And because of that, we look at you as the champion of eternity. We magnify your name because you alone are seated at the right hand of the Father on high. And you have the power, the authority to judge all. He said that he might be the head of all things. That he might be the head of all things. We worship you, King of kings, Lord of lords, and mighty God. We say be exalted. Be exalted. Be exalted. Be exalted. Be exalted. I am the Lord that He led thee. I am the Lord your healer I sent my word and healed your disease I am the Lord I am the Lord your healer you are the Lord our God you that you uphold all things by the word of your power. So Father, our eyes are on your word at this time. We ask that your word penetrates our hearts, that any corruption in our minds, that the light-giving power that is in your word, you said the words that you speak, they are spirit and they are life. That word will penetrate our minds 
reorganize our concept of who you are, our understanding of who you are. Transform us, O oh Lord, into that very same image that we behold in the mirror and that the reflection would be Christ. That all who see and encounter us in relationships, in communications, in attitudes, responses, that it shall be the vision of Christ that he is living and active in us. They said that it is this mystery, Christ in us, the hope of all glory. So Father, we worship you, the one who is the healer, the one who is our Father, our God. We magnify your name and we say be exalted in the mighty name of Jesus. And the people of God said, and the people of God said, if you believe that you have come to join the saints of God in the family of believers before our Father and King, just shout hallelujah to his name and exalt him. I know your neighbor is about six feet away from you. Just turn to your neighbor and say, I see upon you the glory of God, the might of God, the light of God is shining upon you. I am seeing that Christ the King is reigning over your life. I am seeing that the man God, Christ Jesus, is reigning in your life. The Bible says that he rules and reigns in the affairs of men and he has come that all might be turned to the Father and that we might reveal the glory of the Son in us. Amen? Amen. Amen. By the special grace of God, I have the opportunity to bless and share with the word with my brothers and my sisters. As most of you can notice, it is pastor that is sitting on that chair. <laughs> but um, he just had a couple of things to sort out. So no cause for alarm. Turn to your neighbor and say, no cause for alarm. Yes, he's uh, taking this time to just organize and reorganize some things. And by the special grace of God, we should see him next week. Amen? So when we go um, after the service, let's just call him, share our love for him, tell him he was greatly missed. Yes, 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 yes. Tell him he was greatly missed. Um, in his absence, I honor him. Um, I also honor the leadership of the church. God bless you, sirs. Um, and today I'm sharing, um, continuing the title message that we've been sharing, which is the feet of peace. The feet of peace. Pastor uh, kicked off this series um, by explaining to us that Christ is our peace. And he gave us this definition. He said, peace is the manifestation of total restoration and completeness. In other words... The fruit of peace, when you see it in exhibition in a believer, when you see a believer manifesting that peace, that believer is manifesting the complete package of Christ. You know, was it last week, Minister Eric said this, he said that Christ is the person of our peace. In other words, when we come into Christ, we come into the completeness of that image of God. He brings us into wholeness to the point where we begin to manifest and reveal the very nature and the very character of God. And that is the end of all salvation. Not just so that we can enter eternity with eternal life, but that we might come into the very place of maturity revealing the nature and the character of Christ. 
So when he says Christ is our peace, he says that he came that the Gentiles and the Jews might become one new man. He brings us into completion, into that image of the invisible God who is called Christ, our King. That is the very purpose of the manifestation of that fruit of completeness, that manifestation of that fruit of restoration. It is a restoration unto God's original intent and idea which is Christ, our King. Somebody shout hallelujah. So when you, we look at Ephesians, chapter 2, verse 14, it says this, For he himself is our peace, who made both groups, the Jews and the Gentiles, into one, and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall. By abolishing in his flesh the enmity, which is the law of commandments, contained in ordinances, so that he in himself, he might make the two into one new man, thus establishing peace. Thus bringing us into that place of wholeness, restoration, and completion. He brings that he breaks up that dividing wall where we no longer see differences between cultures, differences between differences between traditions or upbringings. He breaks up those divisions and then he shows us an image of the one who was the original plan and intent of God and says, This is the new plan. So everyone that is called of God is called into that image and into that plan. And when we fall into when we let go of all our ideas, of all our preconceptions, of all our thoughts, and take on the mind of Christ, then we have come into that place of restoration and wholeness. But we are speaking about the feet of peace. So what do feet represent? When you think about your feet, you think about the ability to stand. When I think about my feet, I think about posture. When I think about my feet, I think about mobility. You need feet to walk. And in walking, you see that with mobility comes a destination. So when you think about your feet, you're thinking about progress. You're thinking about mobility. And you're thinking about a destination. Please, if you are with me, shout hallelujah. hallelujah. So I said, posture, ability to stand, mobility, progress, destination. Now, the feet are extremely important. The feet of peace is extremely important for this one thing. It is the enabling power to minister Christ. It is the enabling power to minister Christ. If we open to Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14. It says, pursue peace with all men and the sanctification without which no one will see the Lord. In other words, peace is the conduit through which people see the reflection of Christ. Without peace being the conduit, Christ will not be seen. So we need to pursue peace with all men. And then by pursuing peace with all men, we now have the ability 
to allow people to see Christ in us. What do I mean by that? If I and my brother are having issues and it blows up in the church, do you think people will see Christ in us? What would they see? Discord, disharmony. But when we are in peace, when we walk hand and shoulder, recognizing that Christ is the one who rules and reigns in us and that we are brothers in arm, ministering Christ to the world, what do you think people will see? They would see Christ in us, in our relationship. So, we need to pursue peace with all men, without which no one outside the church will see Christ in us. So, it is the enabling power for ministering Christ. And Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 to 3. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 1 to 3. But I'm uh, sorry, chapter 4. Verses 1 to 3, and I'm just going to read verses 1 and verses 3. Verses, verse 1 says this. He says, walk in a manner worthy of your calling. Then, oh, sorry. Sorry, I, uh, wrong, wrong verse. James chapter 3, verse 16. James chapter 3, verse 16. It says this. It says, for where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder and every evil thing. I once heard a man of God say this. He said he can accept anyone into his leadership, into the people that serve with him. He can accept them. He said, but the one thing he will never accept are people that have selfish ambition and people who are jealous and promote discord. Why? Because in that very act, you begin to see disorder because people are fighting for things and then you begin to see every evil work being done. That's why we need to pursue peace. Now, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 to 3, we are asked to walk in a manner worthy of our calling. Remember, the feet are used to walk. You walk in a manner worthy of your calling. And verse 3 says this, being diligent to preserve the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. So, we walk worthy of our calling when we preserve the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. You see, peace is what gives power to your testimony. Peace is what gives power to the ministration of Christ. When we minister Christ with our friends, our colleagues, peace is that power. So it is the enabling power for ministering Christ. The second thing that it, uh, reason why it is important is that it makes us to stand effectively as believers. It makes us to stand effectively as believers. Ephesians chapter 6 verses 14 to 17. Ephesians chapter 6 verses 14 to 17. It says, stand firm therefore, having gathered your loins with truth and having put on the breast of plate, breastplate of righteousness and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. So we stand firm when we put on the whole armor of God. But then a primary armor is the preparation of the gospel of peace. 
remember, peace is a man. So we are saying, we are shutting our feet with the preparation of the gospel of Christ. We shut our feet. Now, an understanding of that gospel is this. That when he died, you died. I died. When he rose from the dead, you rose. I rose. When he ascended, we ascended with him. Now, that is what... That is what equips us. That is what enables us to stand. Why? Because I recognize that in his death, he didn't just die for me. He died for all. And so, he paid that price. He was the price paid that we all might be able to stand. Now, it is in that recognition that empowers us to walk in peace with others. That the same person that died that I might stand, died for the other person that they might stand. Now, even if they are unbelievers and have not come into the truth, he also died for them. So that is what helps us, encourages us to stand. Now the third reason why the feet of peace are, is actually important. He says this. He says, when we think about Genesis chapter 3 verse 15, we recognize that the peace of God is the enemy's primary aim. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, we see here that God said to the devil, the serpent, he said, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise you on the head, but you shall bruise him on the heel. The heel. You see, in every attack that we face as believers, the enemy's primary aim is that very equipment that gives peace. That's why Paul said, shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel because that is your protection. That is your protection. That is your protection. <laughs> now, let's quickly read, and we're going to read quickly, Mark chapter 4, verses 35 to 40. Mark chapter 4, verses 35 to 40. And remember, we're still on the third point, that the peace of God is the enemy's primary aim. The peace of God is the enemy's primary aim. And I quickly read. He says, on that day when the evening had come, he told them, let's cross over to the other side 
of the lake. So they left the crowd and took him along, since he was already in the boat. And other boats were with him. A fierce windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking over the boat, so that the boat was already being swamped. But he was in the stern, sleeping on the cushion. Turn to your neighbor and say, God was sleeping. So they woke him up and said to him, Teacher, don't you care that we are going to die? He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the sea, Silence, be still. Another uh, transition will say, Peace, be still. And then he said, The wind ceased, and there was a great calm. Then he said to them, Why are you fearful? Do you still have no faith? The storms came. They lost their peace. Remember, the peace of God is the enemy's primary aim. Why? To change our perception of God. Master, care it not that we perish. We see the storms raging. Is it that you don't care about us? That became their testimony because of what they were seeing around them. Remember, God was in the boat with them. And the fact that God was in the boat, a storm still arose. So there was a storm when God was in the boat. The disciples were toiling and struggling, and God was in the boat. The disciples were on a godly mission. They were on a godly sanctioned mission, and God was quiet. Worse still, God was sleeping. So you see here that these were men of God. But there was still a storm. To make things interesting, God was also in that boat with them. But the difference was God was sleeping. He was so at peace and at rest, even in the midst of all that was going on around him. Christ, our peace. He could not be shaken by what he saw. But those with him were shaken. And so he had to rebuke them. He rebuked the storm. They said, what manner of man is this? But he still had to rebuke them. But then, in that realization, they saw that that storm that even they were facing and encountering was not from God. Because God rebuked the storm. But they still wondered. Don't you care that we perish? You, we know that you are a different man. With all that we've seen, you can heal just by the release of your word. We know that even if this storm takes over this boat and it capsizes, nothing will happen to you. That's why they said, care not that 
we perish. We know you, you are good. <laughs> but don't you care that we perish? They almost came to the conclusion that God did not care about them. But something, the moral of this story is this. Storms come to the good and the bad. It is not a function of what the person does. It's just a function of life. Recall when Jesus and the disciples were going and they saw a man lame from birth. They said, Master, who sin caused this man to be in this condition? Is it his mother's sin, father's sin, his sin? But Jesus said something. He said, it is not because of anybody's sin, but that you might know the glory of God. What does, what does that mean? It means so that you might know what God's action is in the midst of these types of circumstances. In other words, when you see things like this, and then God comes into the situation, what God does is to set that person free. He said, I have come that you might have life and have it abundantly. That you might see the glory and the nature of God. What God does in these circumstances. The primary aim is the peace. Another man that we quote a lot, Job. Now, the thing is, we have the privilege of hindsight. We can study the life of Job and say, oh, there are some things he did not do right. But we must recognize, I'm starting with this because we have to recognize that Job was a righteous man. Even God gave that testimony of Job. Have you seen my servant Job? So I cannot speak against him. I don't believe I have the authority to speak against him when God even gives that testimony of that man. I hope that God can say that of me. Have you seen my, <laughs> my, my, my servant? <laughs> In this day and age, people say, I'm not a servant, I'm a son. But I mean, but who knows? But if just that testimony was good. So in hindsight, we can look and say, Job might have been wrong. But he was wrong. His perception of God got tainted. You see, in Job chapter 1 verse 21, Job chapter 1 verse 21, he said this, the Lord gives and takes away. But when we look at Job chapter 1, from verses 9 to 12, it says this, Then Satan answered the Lord, Does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not made a hedge about him? See God's work? Protection. And his house. And all that he has on every side. You have blessed the work of his hands. You see God. You see even Satan's, when Satan is testifying about what God does, it is a miracle. He said, you have blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land. But put forth your hand now and touch all that he has. He will surely curse you to your face. 
he was telling the Lord to actively persecute Job. But look at what the Lord says, because that is not his work. He says, then the Lord said to Satan, behold, all that he has is in your power. You are the God of this earth. God of this time and season. God of this world, not this earth. He said, only do not put forth your hand on him. So Satan departed from the presence of the Lord. We have, Job wasn't here. He did not see this discussion. But we have that privilege of seeing that it was not the Lord that took all that Job lost away. Job 13 verse 15, he says this, Though he slay me, yet will I praise him. But he was not the one that slayed him. Whose work was it? Whose work was it? The devil. But when we look at Job chapter 42, verses 5 and 6, we see that Job's understanding was corrected starting from verse 38. Uh, sorry, chapter 38. And in Job chapter 42, verses 5 to 6, we see that Job begins to repent. He repents because he realizes that he was in error. He says, I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Therefore, I retract most of what I said. I take it back. And I repent in dust and ashes. Why? Because his testimony was tainted. And the things that he said was inaccurate. And that is what the enemy wants. He said, if you take everything, he will do what? Curse you to your face because he would have a different perception and understanding of who you are. We are to shod ourselves with the preparation of the gospel. So how do we develop our feet of, 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 of peace? How do we develop our feet of peace? Revelation chapter 12 verse 11, Revelation chapter 12 verse 11 says this, that they overcame by the blood of the lamb and by the word of our testimony. So we recognize that when we begin to decree the victory of Christ over sin, we begin to decree that he has set the captives free. He has set the captives free of which I belong. We begin to proclaim his victory. We begin to exhibit that our feet have been protected. Our testimony is being released into the atmosphere. And it is a positional victory. Where it is not that you are going and fighting the... the, the you see, the Bible never said you should fight the devil. Uh, sorry, I said the devil. The Bible never said you should fight the devil. But what the Bible does say is that we fight the good fight of faith. And what is faith? The substance of things hoped for, evidence of things not seen. The testimony of Christ that we received. For we have been saved by, 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 by faith to, through Christ. The grace of God has been given to us in the person of our Lord and Savior Christ Jesus. So it is a positional victory. 
Now, the second thing to develop the feet of peace is to recognize that consciousness creates connectivity. Turn to your neighbor and say, consciousness creates connectivity. Consciousness creates connectivity. Now, what does that mean? It means that you connect with whatever you are conscious of. You connect with whatever you are conscious of. In John chapter 3, verse 13, Jesus says this. He says, no one has ascended into heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man, which is in heaven. Though you are seeing me here, my position, my understanding, my consciousness is currently connected with heaven. So everything you see me accomplish, I'm accomplishing because I am divinely connected with heaven. Whatever you are conscious of consistently, that is why it is a battle of faith, a battle of the consciousness of the mind. What are we feeding our understanding with? What are we feeding our minds with? What are we feeding our, 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 our what are we meditating on? What, what are we eating? Why? There is a connection. There is a connection. That is being formed. Where you are consistently connected in your mind. Conscious in your mind. Of specific things. That is why when we enter into the house of God. Or enter our houses. Our minds. says you will keep them in perfect peace. Who? Those who stay their minds on him. On him. And also, consciousness results from the thoughts and ideas that consume our hearts. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. The third point for developing our feet of peace is that we know the heart and mind of the Father at all times. We know the heart and mind of our Father at all times. In Mark chapter 4 verse 40. He said. Why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? Why have you lost your peace? Did I not tell you. Prior to the beginning of the journey. Let us go to the other side. Was my word not enough? Don't you understand that I uphold all things. By the word of my power. Once I speak a word, it is as good as done. He decrees a thing and it becomes established by the virtue of the one who says it. He said, let there be light. You see, he says in the beginning, when there was darkness over the face of the earth, he said the spirit of the Lord was hovering over the waters. The spirit of the Lord was waiting for something. It was waiting for the communication of the word. Immediately the word was given. Everything that was required for the flow of the power for creation just came into existence. And when the word and the spirit came together, everything that was decreed in utterance became an established reality. But it starts with knowing the heart and the mind of the father. He had said, let us go to the other side. 
He did not say, I am going to the other side. He said, let us go. Circumstances are irrelevant. What you see on your left and on your right is irrelevant. Let us go. Turn to your neighbor. Say, let us go. What has the Lord decreed concerning your destiny? What has the Lord decreed concerning your life? What has the Lord decreed concerning your children? I decree to you by the special grace of God. Let us go. I say it again. Let us go. We know his heart by mainly three things. By spending time with the Father. What does that mean? We study his word. We meditate on his word. He says, do not let the word depart from your heart, but meditate on it day and night. And if you find out that you are not able to meditate, search masters of the word. Let them equip you. Let the word begin to wash all those ideas and preconceptions that are not in line with the word, in line with the thinking of Christ. Says, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. So the, so the sanctifying power, the restoring power, the reorganizing power is the word. And also we spend time praying. We know God's mind and heart through the word, by studying the word. But we also know his mind and heart for specific situations where we go into the place of prayer. And then he communicates to us his will, his desire in specific situations. And that is what arms us with faith. Knowing, has the Lord not said it? Will he not bring it to fulfillment? It is only when we know that the Lord has said it that we have the confidence to move forth. And then, I'm going to quickly try to wrap up. But I thought this was interesting. Matthew chapter 10 verses 11 to 13. Matthew chapter 10 verses 11 to 13. Turn to your neighbor and say, you have to position yourself appropriately. You see, Jesus was sending his disciples out to minister the word. He says, and whatever city or village you enter, inquire of who is worthy in it and stay at his house until you leave that city. As you enter the house, give it your greeting give it your blessing. If the house is worthy, give it your blessing of peace. But if it is not worthy, <laughs> take it back. In other words, peace can be transmitted. Peace can be given. And peace can be rejected. Whoever receives a righteous man in the name of that righteous man shall receive a righteous man's reward. But 
Whoever receives a prophet in the name of the prophet shall receive a prophet's reward. You have to understand that the reward of men that have been sent on a mission is the peace and the blessing of God. But there is a manner and a way through which you become worthy of allowing it to rest. It is called honor. I am not saying human worship. Neither am I saying eye service. I am saying true honor. Because it is only in that place of honor, the connectivity to reserve that blessing of peace rests upon you. So turn to your neighbor and say, position yourself appropriately. So that the blessing of peace might remain on you. Finally, peace is transmitted primarily through words. Primarily through words. They overcame by the word of their testimony. You testify. So, don't stop speaking. Don't stop testifying. Don't stop putting the word before your face. And don't stop proclaiming it. Why? He has said, let us go to the other side. And we all shall go because his word is what empowers us. <laughs> I'd like to tell a story about a man. In Matthew chapter 14, verses 30 to 31, Peter sees our Lord and Savior walking on water. They were all afraid. He looks at him and says, Master, if that is you, bid me to come. And then Jesus says, come. He looks at Jesus. That word was enough for him. He began to walk on the water. But all of a sudden, he began to look at his surrounding. And it is in the looking at his surrounding, he lost his peace and then he fell. Fast forward to Acts chapter 5, verses 15 and 16. Peter was walking through a city. There was commotion on his left and on his right. But his eyes were now on that man. Jesus had said, go, preach the gospel. His words energized Peter to go through that city, not minding the commotion that he saw on his left and on his right. Rather, something miraculous happened. As he walked through that city, his shadow was taking care of the commotion, even as his face and his eyes and his senses was on the mission, the words of Christ, that he should go. There was a transformation that occurred in the heart of Peter. It did not happen overnight, but it was based on the word of God and his conviction that that word 
the mind of the father was to see people set free. And that energized his ministry. And that energized him in moving and communicating the gospel of Christ in miraculous signs and wonders. My brothers, my sisters, it is when we shod our feet with the preparation of the gospel that we see the devil defeated at all times because it is in the testimony of Christ that the peace of God rules and reigns in our hearts and is revealed through every interaction. So let us stand up on our feet and begin to decree if there is anything, anything, any desire, any desire, any desire in your heart that seems to be to be clouded by storms that are surrounding you begin to place those storms in God's hands and begin to decree that my face and my eyes will be set on you for you are my peace father you are my peace you are the one that has set me free you are the one that came that I might walk in wholeness that I might walk in true restoration that I might walk in the place where you oh Lord are seen and heard in all things and in all circumstances come on lift up your voice Voices and begin to decree, Lord, the conviction to walk is now being is now being energized in my heart. I hold on to your conviction. I hold on to your word. I hold on to the desire to know you more, to understand your word.